0: Amen? Amen. All right. James chapter 1, verse 19. I didn't title this myself. I just used the title that was in my Bible because I don't use those a lot. But this one was actually right on the money. Qualities needed in trials. If you remember when we talked about James 1, we talked um, quite about a month ago, if you were here, we talked... um, About enduring trials, about welcoming trials. We talked about trials coming into your life and what is the attitude to have towards trials. And uh, the attitude that James admonishes to have towards trials is not what the world would say. The world would say, uh, be anxious, break down, um, give up. And James says, not only welcome them in, welcome them in gladly because they're there to teach you. So, Ourselves today is in it's in verse nineteen. James has already talked about loving God under trials, and um, we're not going to spend too much time there. But I want to go to verse nineteen, and in light of what our world is going through, I think this is uh, this is apropos. So, chapter one nineteen. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Slow to speak and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is good, sound advice. This is two things about the book of James. It's very practical. It is, it's not that there's nothing deep in James. Obviously, there is something, there is incredible depth in James, but the practicality of James in everyday life uh, always hits me between the eyes. And the second thing about the book of James is the book of James is like an x-ray machine. It's like an MRI. <laughs> it's not, we're not focusing on the surface. matter of fact, we, uh, we learned last night in chapter 2 that God is not a respecter of persons. God does not care whether you are rich. He, uh, James in chapter 2 admonishes him not to pay attention to the rich man at the cost of the poor man. So... Uh, that is um, one thing about James. Uh, when we, it's a hard book. It is a hard book. Not that, not that it is a hard book to understand. It's a hard book to hear for us. I, I find myself going through here, and when you get the nuances of the words in the Greek sometimes, it's like, oh, ouch, James, <laughs> Lord. And I think it is a, a book I know I need to hear and that we all need to hear. So, in 19, he says, Be quick to hear, but slow to speak and slow to anger. We always, in society today, I don't know about you, but in conversations, how many of us are quick to hear but slow to speak? Usually we're quick to hear half of it and quick to speak. (laughs) Because we, uh, for some reason, I don't know what it is, there's this urgent need within everybody to get your voice heard. I want to get my point in on this conversation. I want to, you know, make sure I'm represented in this conversation. You have to hear what about what, about what I have to say. You know, instead of being slow to speak, uh, what does is, what is it say in Proverbs? Uh, even a fool is considered wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Um, sometimes, is I've tried to do that with myself because I'm one of those people that, you know, you get them, especially when you get it with a group of guys. Everybody's talking about their ideas and their thoughts and their political opinions. And, you know, there's this thing that goes on in your head and say, like, oh, wait, you're missing one aspect of it. And I'm going to educate you on that by interrupting you <laughs> and blazing in there with my opinion. Be, be quick to hear, but slow to speak. This is something I think that, you know, some of us may do well to others, but all, I don't think any of us get an A in that category. Yeah, everyone wants to, wants to everyone wants to speak first no matter what what it is and we, we fail to listen and in doing that we uh, especially as Christians I think it would behoove us to listen to people to listen to those when we're witnessing to them and to listen to those that we are trying to befriend for the cause of Christ so when we're in a conversation it would be wise to think I tried to do These things think and then pray before you react or respond and then slow to wrath. That is one thing. uh, I share the, uh, the fault of having a quick temper. It's gotten better. It's gotten better before I was a believer. My, 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 my outlet for a quick temper was just to hit something. I'd get mad and I hit something. Um, Phil could probably attest to what boxers' fractures are. Um, I've busted this thing up a lot, just because of slow, just a quick, to, quick to wrath, quick to, quick to anger, and um, I pay for it now because now I have arthritis in this hand. Um, but God's going to work with me, and you know it's hard not to. But I, I believe in what in what He's saying here. This is something because this comes out when we are. In the presence of those who don't believe, this comes out when we are trying to minister to those who are our brothers and sisters. Um, it, it boils down to humility. So quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the wrath of man avails much in the kingdom of God. Right? Right? <laughs> No, the wrath of man avails nothing. The wrath of man accomplishes nothing, except maybe a broken hand and some injured feelings and some anger amongst people. Our wrath does nothing. It, it is antithetical to God's plan, and it causes more harm than anything else. So I know I pray when I'm at work, when I'm dealing with people, when I, people who may be difficult, people who may be doing things I don't want them to do. I have to weigh it out and say, I'd rather be witnessing to them. I'd rather be an example of Christ to them than gratify my flesh by getting angry with them. And it's not always, not always perfect, but God's working on me. All right. Going down to verse 21. Therefore, I love this. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James is talking to his fellow believers. He says several times throughout the book of James, my brethren, my brothers. And uh, so he's talking to fellow believers. When he says, you know, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and, all, and the overflow of wickedness, um, He's not treating, with, treating us with kid gloves. Inside of all of us is, is that filthiness and that wickedness. He just said so. It's there. James' admonition is to cast it off. When you look at that word, lay aside, and I don't think I have, no, I don't have the exact word, but the, the definition of the word lay aside is one, lay aside, or the other one I like is cast it off. You know, heave it over the edge. All those things that we are, it is thrown at us on a daily basis in this world. I mean, if you're on social media, I don't know about you, but it seems like it's just getting worse. It's just constantly there, constantly barraging. I, I was on my Bible app, for crying out loud, and this little ad appears down below for stuff that is feminine that I would never buy. And it says, oh, do you?" and it has a little X, so you X out of it. Oh, would you like not to see this ad? Yes, I would like not to see that ad. Pick up my phone, turn it on again. There it is again. Wait a minute, I said I didn't want to see that ad. This world is shoving filthiness down our throats. It's shoving it at us. It's throwing it at us. It's heaving it upon us. Um, We have enough to fight within ourselves that uh, I would um, admonish everyone to remove that stuff from your life. But James says... um, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of, of wickedness. It's funny, it seems almost redundant, but it's lay, um, lay aside all filthiness. When you, do the, when you start studying the words, sometimes the definitions that are, that are thrown out there compared to what is actually made it into the translation, sometimes they're a little more convicting. Filthiness, uh, one of the uh, synonyms was um, Moral dirtiness. More, I'm supposed to. That's in me. That's in you. If you don't think it's in me because I'm a pastor, uh, you need to understand <laughs> what uh, what it is to be a Christian. It is we we struggle with it daily. We struggle with it daily, and like Pastor Phil says, keep that struggle within the realm of the mind. Fight it there, and fight it immediately. So lay aside all moral filthiness, and I believe the King James, if anybody's reading a King James, I believe it says the, um, instead of the overflow of, of wickedness, it is the, the superfluidity of naughtiness. Uh, this is another good reason, yes, yeah, so this is another good reason why we don't use 1611 uh, Elizabethan English anymore, <laughs> because when you say the superfluity of naughtiness, uh, people just kind of think that's silly. Um, Naughtiness is something my mom would say when I was three. Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 I preach out of the King, the New King James. So I like the King James. I just I don't believe the uh, the 1611 English is for today. It's just, it just takes too much re-explaining to people to understand it. So, but if you that's what you have and that's what you were raised on, that's what you're comfortable with. That's nothing wrong with that. So. Lay aside all and more all moral dirtiness, moral filth, and the superabundance of evil. So, ah, so this is one of those things that uh, the the last I can say of this. Don't. I'm always inspired and motivated when Pastor Phil talks about the hedge of protection he set around himself, that we all should set this hedge of protection around ourselves so, this, so that the battle we're fighting, yeah, it comes from within, but we're setting a hedge of protections around us from without too. So The stuff coming from without doesn't affect and attack the stuff within. This is, it is so important to do that. I'm reminded of what Job said when, in uh, I think it was 31.1, Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I shall not look upon a young woman. I think that's a good idea. It's a good idea to make a covenant with your eyes, to make a covenant with your mouth, uh, your ears, what goes in them, what goes before your eyes, and what comes out of your mouth. This is, well, James covers this later, Um, but this is something I think we should all, especially in the light of today, do. Because right now, just like Pastor Pat and I were um, talking to a young gal um, who uh, was kind of everything that the world's doing right now. And I could tell, we both, I think we both could tell that there was a preconceived notion of what we were. Because we're coming from a church, we're walking over there, we're pastors, There's all kinds of preconceived notions coming from one end. I may have preconceived notions coming from my part. But the last thing I want to do is fulfill the things that aren't true. I don't hate you. I don't dislike you. I don't wish the worst for you. When we encounter the world, I would rather love them, wish the best for them, which would be salvation in Christ and pray for pray to that end so when we make an effort or when we decide or to be obedient to scripture and not until uh, cast off the evil, cast off the moral filth, cast these things off. We're doing it because we love the Lord. We're doing it because we want that out of our lives, but we're also doing it because that, that directly affects how we appear to other people. We've said it before, I've said it tons of times from this, this pulpit. If you're going to have a long term relationship with non believers, typically, i.e., the work environment or even family, you're going to be long term scrutinized. And it's going to be every single day. And it's going to be entirely up to you to be utterly dependent upon the Lord to be that witness that you need to be. To to be that person who lays aside that superabundance of evil, that person who rids himself and casts off that. Moral filth, and we depend upon christ. this is this is something that I don't know about you. it's a struggle daily, it is a struggle daily, and um you know you have to you have to put up with the whole you know oh, that's right, you don't cuss, <laughs> oh that's right, you've got to go to church it's you know it's. Yeah, or the the inadvertent. Let me show him let me show him this picture of this to see how he reacts. You know, it's be consistent. Be consistent. Be be that person who's daily waking up, putting on the full armor of God, laying aside, casting off moral filth. Making that covenant daily with your body, with your heart, with your mind, and with your Lord. To walk in obedience. Okay. So In being, being swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, laying aside all this moral, moral filthiness in your lives, with meekness receive the implanted word which is enabled to save your souls. I love the word for implanted. Nope. I love it more when I'm at the right page. All right. The implanted word, um, the, word impl- the word for implanted is um, "emfutas," and two other words. Now, don't get me wrong. When you look up your little tip, when you're reading your strongest Concordance, or you're using your Thayers or your lexicons, and you're trying to find words, uh, just because that word's in the scriptures, and you see that word, and it has like 40 different words for it, it doesn't mean all of them at the same time. That, that's a semantic fallacy. That Don't do that. It has to be taken in context. Uh, you're pretty safe when you only have like three other words, but they are more than likely synonyms for that word. But just a tip when you do that, I've seen uh, famous TV preachers make that mistake to disastrous uh, sermons, disastrous sermons. And uh, actually, uh, I don't know if they knew it, but uttering heresy. So careful when you do that in your word studies. But infutas... Um New King James uses the word implanted. Um a couple of the words ingrown or congenital. In other words, the word of God implanted in you, implanted in you from the moment you were born again. This is this is your your life. Your let me put it this way: to receive the word of God with meekness, to receive this word when you were. When Christ becomes part of our lives, we're not part of our lives, but Christ becomes all of our lives. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we cast ourselves upon him. That, the word of God, Christ himself, indwells us. This, when he says, receive it with meekness and humility, One commentator I like said, and I I think this this is perfect. He says, we are to receive the word as the stock receives the graft. So that the fruit that is produced is according to the graft and not the stock. We must yield ourselves to the word of God. We must be willing to hear. We must be willing to hear our faults and take it not only willingly, but thankfully. In other words, we must submit ourselves to the the implanted word within us. We must submit ourselves to the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a direct correlation. We said this in our Bible study. There is a direct correlation between your behavior and your relationship with the word of God. You're not in the word of God. I I read the word last Thursday. and I had a lousy day from that Thursday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday right until I some, sometime later picked up the word of God again. And we noticed the stark difference. Um, you cannot continue to, to if you try to continue to live out the Christian life without being in the word of God the best thing you're going to do is work it in your flesh. Plain and simple. Your Life in your witness has a direct correlation to your time spent in prayer and in the Word of God. To receiving the Word of God that is in, in, the Word planted in you. It's it's. We have to humble ourselves and realize that you can't get by for with the day. You can't get by. Yeah, you know, I'm going to take a break. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break for a little while from the Word of God. That is that is utter foolishness. That is utter foolishness. I think we all know what happens. Because I think we're all guilty of it. You, you just, you nail, you, you, you tailspin. You tailspin. And then when you go to work or when you go to family or when you go to that, that place where your ministry is to witness to these people, those are the times you realize that I'm empty. I'm, I'm out of fuel. I've got nothing to offer them but my, my fleshly wisdom. Because I've neglected the word of God. Um, yeah, do not do that. Do not neglect the word of God. Accept the word of God meekly, humbly. Um, and especially, we're learning in our Bible study in the book of James, because James, he finds every raw nerve. And he he makes you aware of it. Every place that you want to. That um, you could be failing every place that you need work, which is every place. And um, James is not an easy book. It is a hard book. And there's no way of getting around that. And it is, you know, every other paragraph, it's a woodshed time, and, which is good because then it teaches us exactly what James is talking about here. Receive it humbly. Not only receive it humbly, receive it thankfully. Because it is your life that is being saved. This is... This is how we walk through each day. If you neglect this word and you go out to attempt to witness to people or attempt just to live a consistent Christian life in their presence... Without being constantly bathed in God's word, you're not only doing a disservice to yourself, you're doing a disservice to them. So, trust me. Trust me because I often say when we do the prep classes, I teach you out of my experience of all the things I've made mistakes on. (laughs) I know how much water and food and blah, 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 and how to store these things. I've done them all wrong. Well, I know what it's like to be starved of the word. Get busy during the week. And realize, why am I feeling so horrible? Why did I think that way about that guy? Why did I lose my temper? You know, it's like, oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right, because you weren't in God's word. You were trying to do it on your own strength. All right. Moving right along. You receive with meekness the, 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 the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's, he's, that's absolutely is spot on. And he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James really talks a lot about self-deception. I think James in the first three chapters, two chapters, self-deception is mentioned, I want to say, uh, three or four times. Uh, do not deceive yourself, brothers. Do not be deceived, brothers. Because um, I think James, what James knows uh, is when I think if we're honest, what we all know is um, the enemy's pretty good at deception. But we know us. And we're pretty good at talking ourselves into things. Now, what is it? I heard one preacher, it might have even been you, Pastor Phil. It's, sin's an inside, every sin's an inside job. Because it happens inside. The, the, the decision to do it starts here. The temptation may come without. A lot of times it comes within. James says so. Sometimes we're dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. But those desires can be aroused from the outside. But every sin ultimately is an inside job. That's why he constantly don't be deceived, don't deceive yourselves, don't be dishonest with yourselves. Um and it's just that was just an aside, but that's in studying James, he's, he he says that a lot. So Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Those who hear only and do not do deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. But be doers of the word. I love the word doer. I did not know this until I looked it up. But the word doer, the word is poetes, poetes. If you go to um, Ephesians, and you, uh, Ephesians, I believe, uh, 10, God, you are, you are his workmanship created for Christ Jesus and good works. The word is poema. Here's the word where we get poem. Poetes comes from the same root. It's poetes. Be doers. This is, this is not, it, it, the word has in its, in its makeup a maker, a poet, someone who carries it out, someone who performs it. Um, you know, the best, the best example I could give would be God commands me to, God commands us to do something like, well, be like my boss commanding me to build a table. So I hacked together some couple of wood, four pieces of wood and a slab. There you go. That's, technically, yeah, that's a table. And technically, you did it. But you didn't build something beautiful. You didn't do something. When we come to being doers of the word, when we come to being Obedient to scripture, this is not we 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 can't just phone it in. we can't just like oh, yeah, i I witnessed four times a day, you know, I read two point three chapters in the word, and, and yada 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 you know, that this is this is <clears throat> well James calls that 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 can be classified under the dead religion um, in the end of this, in the next few verses, but um no, this is something. When he says be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, be that person to whom the doing of it is something beautiful, is something you desire, because he desires it, because God desires it. I desire it. He he gave everything for me. He loved me to the point of death and suffering on a cross, to the point of humiliation that I will never understand because I'm not God. God. And he's asking me to do something. Therefore, what I do should be something beautiful. Can't just phone it in. Can't just, you know, I'll oh, get a D. That's good enough. It is something that sh- the doing should encompass all of us heart, soul, and mind. Sound familiar? All right. So be a doer of the word, not merely a hearer, a hearer of the word. A hearer only deludes himself. He is like a man who, looking intently into a mirror um, at everything that he sees, and then walks away and deliberately forgets. The word looking into is katanaio. It means take note, perceive, to consider carefully, to discern to make account of. This is just not a a passing glance. He's not painting a picture of the guy that got up in the morning, looked in the mirror, went like this and just walked away and forgot what he looked like. This is someone who hears the word. Oh, that's very profound. Who hears the word. Oh, that really moved me. He he hears the word preached and he says, Oh, that's, you know, I, I felt a quiver in my chest. You know, that's, then he walks out immediately and moves about his normal life and does nothing. That is just a simply a hearer of the word, and he is self-deluded. He has deluded himself. Because he has believed that hearing the word on a Sunday morning is simply enough. Oh, yeah, I went to church. I heard the word. Great message. The pastor preached a great message. Oh, yeah, what was it about? Oh, something about sin. and I don't know, but it was great. It impacted me at the time. That is the person that James calls deluded. And that's when he says, brothers, don't delude yourself. Don't deceive yourselves. When we talk about the Word of God here, when he says looking intently into the, into the and when he uses the word mirror, but really what we're talking about is looking intently into the Word of God, that we look into, it is, it is the Word of God that shows us our blemishes, our faults, our shortcomings, our sins. The difference between the doer and the hearer is that the hearer turns away from the truth and deceives himself. But the doer humbly welcomes the truth and is trained by it. Hearken back to Hebrews. He is trained by the discipline. He is trained by the truth. Uh, remember the word Paydeia? That's okay. I'll, I'll forgive you if you don't remember that word, but uh, he is trained. Uh, it, it's an athletic analogy that the writer of the Hebrews loves to use. That is the person who has went through the, the pain and the discipline, and the, the scolding from the Holy Spirit, and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to be trained by it. Um, the analogy that comes to my mind, and sports analogies just seem to, seem to come, especially if you played enough of it in high school. Um, fans don't play the game. The fans just sit in the stands. Um, the game is only played by athletes the athletes who have accepted the discipline humbly and endured the training, they're the ones that take the field. They're the ones, they're, they're the 12 or however many, that, whatever sport it is, that are surrounded by the thousands because they're the ones that are competing. They're the ones, that, as the writer to Hebrews says, they're the ones running the race. They're the ones dashing for the laurels. They're the ones who have put in the price and paid the cost. There are no armchair quarterbacks. Pardon the silly analogy, but there are no armchair quarterbacks in God's kingdom. Those are, that's hearers only. And those are self-deceived. It is those who wish to be trained by the word of God who become the doers and become the, become the ones that do it the best. You know, you you want to be that guy out there so in love with his craft that he desires only to do the best. He won't accept anything else. So in the analogy, taking it home to our walk with Christ, we want to be those people that are undistracted, and we want to be the ones that our sole purpose is to please him. Our sole purpose is to do what he told me to do and to do it with every ounce of strength I have, to do it with every focus I have, not to cut it short, not to cheat, not to put in a half effort. I know that sounds harsh, but so what James is talking about, it's we are those who obey the perfect law of liberty. James says the doer will be blessed in what he does. The word for blessed is the common word for happy, blessed, makarios. Um, The interesting thing about makarios, happy and blessed, and the only other word in the definition is to be envied. To be envied. Painting the picture of the guy who is so intent on pleasing his Lord, Every morning, he's not perfect, but he's so intent on pleasing his Lord. He wants to be that doer that does the beautiful work of Christ with every ounce of his strength, so that when others see him, they want what he has. Why do they want what he has? Because they envy the blessedness that he he shows. They envy it. You know, sometimes they may show it, sometimes they may not, but they envy it. Why is that guy that way all the time? Every time I see him, he's he's smiling. Every time I'm seeing, he uh, he's always got his his. He, every lunch break, he's got his word, nose in the word, every in, in the Bible. Every you know, every time you talk to him, he's he's uh, His conversation is, is wholesome and good, and uh, this is the person we are, that we want to be. This is the person that we are being admonished to be. So, Ah, lost my place, sorry. Yes, and he will be blessed in what he does. Okay, if anyone among you, uh, we're not going to go there. Well, let's go there. How much time do we got? Do we do half hours or full hours? Sweet, sweet. I love this part. All right. So we're talking about this person that James is talking, that he's, he's describing here. And then he caps it off, and I love this. In Bible study, we, just, we focus on this just for one whole session, but I'm going to touch on it because I think it caps it off really nicely. He says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is worthless. It is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their time of trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. When you look r- deep enough, James is, he's really giving you some just core basic concepts here. This person, this doer we're talking about, this one that does the beautiful work of Christ, he can't, he, he juxtaposes him with this person who does not bridle his tongue and is not compassionate and does not remain pure or unstained from the world. A lot of people will tell you, I don't do religion, religion's worthless. <laughs> well, in one sense, you can go, yeah, there is such a thing as a worthless religion. Let me tell you what a worthless religion is. Worthless religion is ceremony without substance. A worthless religion is activity without love. A worthless religion is going through the motions but no commitment. That's a worthless religion, and you're right. Some religions are worthless. I will agree with you. Can I tell you what the Bible says? A not worthless religion is controlling your tongue, which involves controlling what's going on in your mind. Because out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. And what comes out of your mouth will either defile you or defend you. So, controlling your tongue. Compassion on those who are desperately in need. It's not just the widows and orphans. The widows, this is a, the widows and orphans are a general idea of those who are in need. Doesn't mean that you. All the church has to do is do. Uh, we, we just start convalescent centers and orphanages, and we're good to go. No, it's helping everybody that's in need, everybody that's in distress, everybody that can't help themselves. That's what he's talking about, and remain unstained from the world. We just spent half this sermon talking about being unstained from the world. This purity, this casting off of moral filth, this casting off of the superfluidity of naughtiness, <laughs> this casting off of these things, remaining unstained by the world. This is not something we perform perfectly. But when we do perform it by the strength of the Holy Spirit and as much as our faulty beings can depend upon him and discipline ourselves to depend upon him, the results will be people will look at us and envy Does that sound weird? People will look at us and envy us. James says it. You're blessed, and it shows. You're walking around blessed, and it shows, because you're doing what he says to do, and you're doing it beautifully. And people are going to look and go, I wonder what he has. What is up with him? Man, he annoys me. He's always happy. Or he's always focused. It seems like he's committed to his God. I mean, this is look at the world around you. <laughs> it's falling apart. It's falling apart. And it desperately, they desperately want to see something consistent. Because right now they're following every trend that's out there and the peer pressure to do unimaginable and unspeakable things is so strong. It is this, it is this ethos, this zeitgeist that is engulfing people. Well, be the counter ethos, be the counter revolutionary, be the one that stands up for righteousness, be the one that remains unstained by the world and lifts the orphan and the widow up. Be the one that, I love what you did, Pastor Phil, or Pastor Pat, dealing with a young lady. I know we had problems with the yard and dog poop and all that, and we had an uncomfortable time going over there and talking, and uh, she was very, very upset. Very upset. And um, proud of my brother because he saw, you know, the important thing. Let's make peace here because without peace, we're not going to be able to talk to anybody. Without peace, the witness isn't going to go forward. So now we've established peace. You've established peace in a relationship, and we can move forward to that. And that's beautiful. That's what we're supposed to do. No compromising, nothing like that. It's just that I would rather... Dog poop in the yard is just dog poop in the yard. (laughs) This is nothing to go to war over. Let's try to work out a way we can get around this. And what we know is the more important issue, let's befriend you. That way we can bring you God's word. That way we can bring you the gospel. Whether it's piece by piece, drop by drop, or truckload by truckload, whatever's going to be accepted, we're going to bring you the gospel. We're going to be doers of the word that do beautiful things, that do the word beautifully. We are going to be those who have compassion on those in need. You can get confronted by someone on the street who's just completely obnoxious and loud and and horrible. Guess what? That's a person in need. It's not classified as a widow or an orphan, but it's someone in need of the gospel because they're getting swallowed up and enveloped by the spirit of this age. You're the counter-revolutionary. You're the one that offers what used to be normal nowadays It is revolutionary to offer the gospel. Um, It's a strange twist, but we're there. And I would encourage you to be that way. So, in conclusion, let me give you an example. And this example, I believe, is in Luke. I did not write it down. I should have. When Jesus interrupts the funeral procession, Remember when they were carrying the young man and the widow was following his mother? And Jesus interrupts the funeral procession. It's something very interesting about that. He walks over, lays his hand on the casket, and and raises the man back to life. And then what it says, and then he gives him back to his mother. Can't help but think that when Jesus showed up, the first thing he saw was a mother who was a widow, and she just lost her son. She lost her boy. He was, the, he was the muscle around the house. He was probably the guy helping and doing the work. He may have been earning the living. Her whole world just got shook because now she's alone, and she has nobody. And Jesus, he, healed, he, he performed the miracle and he brought the guy back to life, which glory to God. But then he turned around and he, the real beautiful thing was he gave, he reunited this family of two. Can you imagine the relief in that mom? I think the relief outweighed the astonishment, or maybe equal. I think she was blown away that her husband, her, 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 her boy was brought back to life. And then all the worries just went, Phew. She had got a second chance as well as him. Be that person, that compassionate person that followed Jesus throughout the Gospels when he performs miracles. The, the guy at the Pool of Shalom, he, he was never going to get to the water, ever. He couldn't because he couldn't walk. I'm sure there was people that come there that, you know, oh, I have a skin condition, so I'll just dip in, you know. Oh, I got my miracle or whatever. I don't know if the actual pool worked, But suffice to say, that guy was never going to make it there. That was the guy he zeroed in on. Follow it throughout his miracles. It's just God has a heart for the poor, and he he's focused in on those with the greatest need. It's... It's kind of interesting how the crowds are focused in on the miracles. And Jesus is performing the miracles, but he's also helping the widow. He's also helping the cripple. He's also... <sighs> this is religion that is not worthless. This is the religion, and I'm not, I don't mind that word, religion. I, uh, I, I agree with Alistair Begg. It's, yeah, I, I know when we say, I'm not religious, it's a relationship. Well, it's a religious relationship. <laughs> it's a relationship in the context of our, our belief and our faith. It's, I know what we're trying to say when we say that, but um, I'm not going to shy away from that simply because other religions are empty and other religions are what James would classify as worthless. Embrace that. Because if we are doing what he's called us to do, we have true religion. We have pure religion. And that's what we want. So... In short, and I'll sum her up real, real quick, and then we'll be on our way. Be that meek person that is slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Be that person who is focused on doing the work of God, not just hearing it. And that doing of the work of God is that controlled tongue, self-discipline, by the strength of the Holy Spirit. That compassion because of the love of Christ which lives in you. And that being unstained by the world. Which we can only do. Because of his his power. Which we can only do. When we're day by day in this. Day by day. Morning, noon, and night. I need to be better. I'll tell you right now. I need to be better. I need to be more in this. Day by day. And that that is how we accomplish that. And that is how we become that salt. That people look at. And go. I want that. On the outward, they may go. I don't like him. Oh, as a Christian. On the inside, they're going to go. But I don't have that. I don't have that. I want that. Be that blessed person that is envied by the world. And be prepared. Tell them why you are blessed. All right. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are were, you were God of grace and patience, and you endure us sometimes. And, Father, I know you endure me sometimes more than you should have to. And, Father, I just pray that you would strengthen us and call us to higher ground in this world that is tearing itself apart, literally tearing itself apart. They're, they're tearing themselves up. They're tearing their minds and their hearts to pieces. And the enemy's laughing. Father, help us to be those who lead a a revolution of righteousness. It starts in our daily lives. Reignite in us, Lord God, that passion and that fire to be doers of the word. To do the beautiful work that you've called us to do and to do it beautifully. To be a craftsman in our obedience and give us a passion and a love for those who don't know you. Cause us to daily, Lord God, by the help of your Holy Spirit, purge ourselves of the the superabundance of evil and the moral the moral filth that creeps in sometimes. Remind us, Lord God, to keep the covenant with our eyes and our ears and our mouth, and our mind that we may follow you more, follow you better, follow you stronger. Father, just use us. Just use us. As this world gets worse, just use us. Make us fishers of men. We ask that and we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.